2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Mark Dever once preached a sermon series on the topic, what are the traits or practices that characterize a healthy church? And he began the series off this way. Quote, so how's it going? Did you get enough sleep last night? Did you have any trouble finding a good parking place this morning? Were the doors clearly marked? Did the people welcome you as you came in? Did the building seem nice and neat? I wonder, did the church's name make it more difficult for you to decide whether to come? Or maybe that's part of the reason you decided to come in. And when you did come in, were the people friendly and welcoming? Any trouble dropping off the kids? And what do you think about the stained glass? We don't have. I know, I have the best view of it, but it's really pretty, isn't it? Then again, maybe it's a little too traditional for you. Are the pews comfortable? Do you have a good view of all the activities from where you are sitting? Can you see clearly? Can you hear okay? Is it warm enough for you right now? Do you feel pretty comfortable? And how about the bulletin? Nice, clear, simple, pretty straightforward, wouldn't you say? Not too complicated? Maybe a little too staid. Did you notice all the announcements in it? And what about the people sitting around you? Are they the kind of people that you like to go to church with? Yeah, I know you're too nervous to look around right now, but you know who they are. What do you think? Are they the right age? Are they the right race? Are they the right social class? Are they just like you? And what about the service so far? There weren't too many announcements in the service, were there? I don't think so this morning. Have the prayers been involving? Have they engaged your heart and mind? It is a bit unusual these days to read so much scripture in church, isn't it? You don't often find that one. And of course, there's the music. You know, we're still trying to get some things worked out, as you can tell. Contemporary or traditional, classical or more modern, liturgical or more informal. As with every other church in America this morning, there are probably some people who have come to this church in the past who this morning are out looking at another church because they would like a different kind of musical experience. 
And you know, there are probably some people who are here in part because they like this musical experience. What are you doing here? Whether you've been coming to this church for 50 years or this is your first Sunday, why do you come? And now, of course, well, you know it's coming now. Maybe it has already begun. The sermon. For some people, this is what you just have to sit through to get to the good bit. Maybe some more singing or meeting and talking with people afterwards. The preacher does have a difficult job, doesn't he? He has to be someone that you feel you could relate to and talk with and let your hair down with or trust in some measure. But he needs to seem holy too, but not too holy. He needs to be knowledgeable, but not too knowledgeable. He needs to be confident, but not too confident. He needs to be compassionate, but not too compassionate. And his sermon needs to be good enough, relevant enough, entertaining and engaging enough, and certainly short enough. There is so much to consider when you're evaluating a church, isn't there? Have you ever really stopped to think about it? There are so many different things to think of. We have to ask ourselves what makes a really good church. So what do you think? What makes for a healthy church? If you are a visitor today looking for a church where you can come regularly and to which you can commit yourself, you need to consider this question. Even if you are already a member here, you need to consider this question. You might move, you know. And even if you don't ever move again, you need to know what constitutes a healthy church. If you're going to stay in the church and be a part of building it and shaping it, don't you need to know what you're trying to build, what you want it to look like, what you want to aim for, what should be foundational? So what do you think? Are secure nurseries and sparkling bathrooms, exciting music, and look-like congregations really the way to church growth and church health? Is that really what makes a good church? And so he begins his series and his book that became uh, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, you may have heard of. We just finished Colossians, as uh, Siobhan said, and uh, we will eventually be going through Matthew 1 and 2 for sort of an extended Advent sermon. Before that, uh, we are doing two sermons uh, that fit into our ongoing series that we sort of pop in at times that goes over what we call our purpose and pursuits or our philosophy of ministry, some of our foundational beliefs and convictions for why we do what we do as a church. And if you haven't read our philosophy of ministry, it's on our website, you can do that. We cover our purpose and pursuits, which is a shorter version of that in our membership class. And really, if the slide's up, you see that there are two questions involved here. Purpose is asking, why do we exist as a church? What is our mission? Do we have on the banner there you see every Sunday? The second question, though, is our pursuits. What cultivates a healthy church? And it's this latter question where we will be focusing today. It's the same question that Mark Dever was asking. How are we, according to Scripture, told to pursue our mission of making disciples? What are the traits or practices of such a church? And I want to answer that question by arguing for the practice today of expository preaching. The, the, the sermon is seeking to answer the question, why practice expository preaching as a church? Not exclusively, like occasionally we will do something more topical, but as our normal, regular practice. Why should pastors give themselves over to this work and labor in it 
And why is it that you as a church should demand it of your pastors? We take as our starting place 2 Timothy 4, 2, which Danica read, preach the word. Admittedly, this is not going to be an exposition of that passage, which I suppose is a bit ironic, I know. Rather, we're going to go behind that and look at the reason for practicing expository preaching as our normal diet as a church. And so, really, the sermon will break up into two large sections. First, what is expository preaching? I'll try to provide a definition for it. And then second, why should we practice expository preaching? The rationale, the motivations or benefits of expository preaching. So first, what is expository preaching? Mike Bullmore of Crossway Community Church in Bristol, Wisconsin, defines expository preaching this way. He says, a sermon is expositional if its content and intent are controlled by the content and intent of a particular passage. The preacher says what the passage says, and he intends for his sermon to accomplish in his listeners exactly what God is seeking to accomplish through the chosen passage of his word. It's where the content and intent of the passage is it determines the content and intent of the sermon. And uh, not exactly the same as expository preaching, but a similar concept that often goes together is this idea of preaching passage by passage through books of the Bible, which is called Lectio Continua, preaching expository through books of the Bible. Those ideas tend to go together. Now, exposition, expository preaching, is typically in contrast to what's called topical preaching, And that's where a sermon pulls from a variety of scriptures to address a theme or a topic. Now, there are some misunderstandings about expositional preaching. Expositional expositional preaching is not what's sometimes called verse-by-verse preaching, where you're simply preaching through all the fine details of a passage, but you're not actually preaching the controlling, overarching thought of the passage. It's not a mere verbal commentary, merely explaining what a passage meant in its original context without exhorting and failing to show the significance of a passage. It's not an exhaustive explanation of a passage. It's not necessarily trying to explain everything in a passage. That's not the goal. It's not applicational preaching, which sometimes is this idea of like simply preaching application from a passage apart from establishing sufficient explanation and understanding of that passage. And it's also more than just basing a sermon on a particular passage, even if it's preaching true true things from that passage. There are really three assumptions, I think, that undergird expository preaching. The first assumption is this that God has communicated to us through his word. That means scripture is where we look if we want to hear from God. It's where we go if we want to learn his will. If we want God to speak to this church, then we'll want his scriptures opened up in our times together. Scripture is God's word. As 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is God breathed, breathed out by God. It's his word. And so it's where we go to hear his voice. But this point alone doesn't necessarily lead to expository preaching. I suppose it just leads to preaching of any variety, so long as it's sourced in the Bible. 
So to that first conviction, we have to add a second, which is this. Scripture is rational communication. And rational communication consists of rational units of thought. This is true of all intelligible communication. We don't just string together random words like a word salad, right? We form sentences out of those words. And not even just sentences, hopefully, but our sentences make up paragraphs. In other words, there's a point that we are trying to make when we talk. We try to get across certain ideas. Words are the vehicle for communicating our thoughts. And so when we preach, we always want to interpret Scripture true to the actual point it's making and what it actually means in context. But again, I suppose that this doesn't yet also get us to expository preaching either. And so to this second and first conviction, we add a third and final one, which is this, that God has something he is seeking to get done in every text. And we want to honor that intent. In other words, you can preach from Scripture, even saying true things that are genuinely in the passage or come from the passage, but you can do so in such a way that you're not actually preaching the central burden of the passage for which God gave it. The central message of your sermon is not the primary message God is seeking to communicate in that particular text. Expository preaching, though, wants to give prize of place to God's intent in every passage. It doesn't merely want us to use Scripture, preaching true things from Scripture, as good as that is. Rather, we want to preach the very thing that God intended to communicate in each particular passage. Expository preaching says whatever the point of the passage is, we want that to be the point of our sermon. Remember Bullmore's definition. Expository preaching is when the content and intent of the sermon is controlled by the content and intent of the passage. Not just influenced by it or based on it, but controlled by it. Or to put it differently, the content and intent of the passage determines the content and intent of the sermon. I like to think of it as this language, as I've titled the sermon, of tethering. Okay, hunting season is coming up. I was just talking to Spencer about hunting. And when you shoot a deer, what do some hunters do? They tether the deer to their truck. Or oftentimes you do this where I grew up where people had pickup trucks. They tether things to their truck in order to keep it from falling off as they drive. You strap it on. It's tightly connected. It's not going anywhere. And so the message of our sermon should be tethered to the message of the text, tightly controlled by it. Why? Because we want our message not merely to derive from God's message, but to be God's message. As one of the Reformed Confessions, the Second Helvetic Confession says, the preaching of the word of God is the word of God. Wherefore, when this word of God is now preached in the church by preacher, preachers lawfully called, we believe that the very word of God is proclaimed and received by the faithful. As Paul told the Thessalonians, when I came to you, you received the word of God. What he preached was the word of God to them. To preach otherwise, then, consider this, is to neglect or rob us of what God was seeking to say and get done in that particular text. 
In fact, to displace the emphasis of scripture with our own agenda is actually rather audacious. It's to hijack the very purpose that God had given that passage. As Leighton Talbert says, every time we derive an interpretation and application from a text that is not consistent with its contextual sense, no matter how biblical the truth itself may be, we rob that text of the meaning and application that God intended when he gave it. In the process, we rob ourselves and others of that text's truth from God. Worst of all, we rob God of his voice in that verse. I think of it as if you were to get a letter. You, or your, you and your friends receive a letter from someone and you're talking it over with your friends. And maybe you pull out different themes from the letter that you find interesting and, and you use some of the statements in the letter to support your own ideas but you never actually get around to considering what was the letter itself actually saying. And so, what makes good preaching? How do we measure, what are the measures of successful preaching? What makes good preaching is not then that it's entertaining, that it's interesting, inspiring, or emotionally moving, making you feel good. Like sometimes people say like, wow, that was really powerful. It's not that the preacher is a charming communicator, wooing and holding the listener's attention with his speaking ability. Although, of course, as preachers, we want to communicate in a way that doesn't distract from the message. It's not whether the preaching addresses your felt needs. Why? Because God knows our needs better than we do. The aim of preaching is not to address what we feel are our most pressing needs, but what God in his word shows us our most pressing needs are. It's not preaching Christianized self-help in pop psychology because it's practical. It's not whether the preacher is relatable or you can connect with him or, or they have an attractive personality. In fact, as uh, Matt Smether says, the best preaching actually makes you forget about the one preaching. The preacher gets out of the way and you focus on the word. Good preaching doesn't mean that it addresses hot topics or whatever you personally think needs to be addressed, quote-unquote, from the pulpit. Sometimes you'll hear people say, well, why doesn't the church ever preach on X or the church needs to preach more about Y? It's not whether the sermon fits your sensibilities or your opinions, whether politically or socially or culturally. Good preaching, what makes good preaching is not that it's necessarily easy to digest even. Expositional preaching requires more effort on behalf of the listener because you're asked to actually engage with sometimes difficult passages. What makes good preaching then, according to the convictions of expositional preaching, is this, that it properly explains the meaning of God's word and it faithfully brings its significance to bear on a particular audience, the church, typically. It properly explains, and it brings it to bear. And I like the word significance, personally, even better than the word application. I think sometimes when we hear application, it makes us think of almost like practical to-do list things, steps to take. Whereas significance, I think, honors a little bit more of the breadth, even, of how Scripture comes to bear. Maybe it's even that we ought to feel differently. We ought to know things. We ought to believe things, hope in things, and also, at times, behave in certain ways, do things. But sometimes our application language, I think, can make us think of Scripture almost like we expect it to be a set of Ikea instructions. 
And so the aim of preaching is not merely relaying information as good and true as that information may be, but it necessarily involves exhorting, challenging, encouraging, rebuking, comforting, however that scripture comes to bear. As some have said, we are to preach to the heart, which is where change ultimately will happen, through the head. We aim to reach the affections, stirring to action, bringing about change in the heart through the mind, through the transforming of our mind, as Paul says in Romans 12. John Calvin put it this way. He said, there are two things required of preachers. First, that we provide a good and pure explanation to the faithful. And, I like this, that we add as much vehemence as appropriate so that the doctrine touches and enlivens the heart. Bring as much affection to it. Apply that truth, that explanation, with as much affection to stir us up towards it. So secondly, why should we practice expository preaching? We looked at what it is. Now let's look at why we should practice it. It's motivations. It's rationale. The benefits. First, expository preaching places God's voice at the center of our church. Every week, we devote ourselves to hearing from God, and specifically what God has to say in each particular text. It gives God a priority of place. It centers what he has to say, not one of us, not the preacher, not the pastors, but God. Second, it trusts God by letting what he has spoken set the agenda. Expository preaching lets God set the agenda. It works from the conviction that God knows what his church needs better than we do and that he knew what he was doing when and how he gave us the scriptures that he did. He knew our needs and he put the Bible together as he did for a reason. Thirdly, expository preaching builds up the church. As 2 Timothy 3 said, as we read, God's word is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Expository preaching is based on the conviction that scripture, as it says of itself, is useful and applicable. Expository preaching displays a confidence that God's word, as he has given to us, is best able to build up his people. In their book, What is the Mission of the Church? Kevin DeYoung and Greg Gilbert say, the word of God is more than able to do the work of God. The word of God is more than able to do the work of God. Do we believe that? Or we can think of all the other promises that scripture tells of itself in the Bible. Preaching God's word builds up the church, Acts 20, when Paul speaks to the elders from Ephesus. He says the word of God is able to build you up and grant you an inheritance among the saints. Or we think of Romans 15 where Paul says that scripture's encouragement grants us hope. In Psalm 19, as they looked at a text group this morning, I think it was, Psalm 19 says that scripture revives the soul. It revives souls. Psalm 119, a psalm all about these different aspects of Scripture, the promises of Scripture. At one point, it talks about how it gives understanding to the simple, the foolish person. It grants them understanding. Or Psalm 1, 
It, it describes the person who meditates on God's word as a tree firmly planted by rivers of water. If we believe such things to be true about God's word, then we trust in the value of preaching God's word and we expect it to be able to produce such things. We don't need to try to resort to preaching what we think is relevant or what we think is practical. We trust that God's word is already relevant and practical. In fact, far more than anything that we might devise or come up with. H.B. Charles, a pastor in Florida, I believe, uh, is where he is. He says this, Expository preaching is a view of scripture, not a style of sermon. In other words, it's first and foremost, it, it, it arises out of a particular theology, convictions of scripture. It's not just some style that some people happen to do. How you preach, he says, betrays what you believe about Scripture. If the Bible is the Word of God, why are you running about looking for something to say? Preach the Word. Fourthly, it forces us to deal with things that we might otherwise avoid. Expository preaching resists the preacher always getting on their hobby horse, it gives a variety to preaching. Rather than just preaching those subjects or parts of scripture that the preacher happens to select, expository preaching forces us as a church to face whatever God is saying in each particular passage. It ensures that we, as Paul says to those elders in Ephesus, Acts 20, preach the whole counsel of God, not just whatever we select and not neglecting or overlooking or at worst skipping parts of scripture. In topical preaching, preachers tend to preach on the things that they already know a good deal about and are comfortable then preaching on. But in that case, the congregation never rises above the knowledge of the preacher. And the church ends up taking on the emphasis, the emphases of the preacher, what they emphasize. In contrast, when you are forced to deal with whatever passage is in front of you, the church will eventually be forced to grow in new areas. And rather than limiting yourself to preaching what you already know and believe, you'll be forced to deal with passages that likely are going to confront and challenge you. You'll end up hearing things from God that we didn't expect or set out to hear. Rather than restricting ourselves to what we decide to hear from God, we follow the text wherever it goes. Fifth, Expository preaching provides a well-balanced diet, to speak figuratively. Instead of preaching on topics or select portions of scripture, expository preaching typically involves preaching through a variety of books and genres across the scriptures. Because we believe, as 2 Timothy said, as we read, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. All scripture is profitable. I like to think of it as a food pyramid. Remember when the government came out with the food pyramid? I think they've changed it since. But it's this idea that you ought to have a well-balanced diet. You ought to eat grains. You ought to eat meats. You ought to eat vegetables, etc. Dairy. It has a, the, kind of the full orb, right? Well, as we preach through books and we, we make a, it's a conviction, it's a practice that we uh, try to rotate from different parts of Scripture, different authors of Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, even the different genres. Some of it is poetry aimed more at the affections. Some of it is epistles aimed more at, directly at the mind with arguments. Apocalyptic, providing us a, a captiv captivating imagery and symbolism. What have you? 
the different aspects, different parts of Scripture round out a complete diet. God has given us all of Scripture and the different genres and the different parts for a reason. And expository preaching allows us to have that more whole diet. Sixthly, expository preaching teaches the congregation how to read their Bible. Expository preaching models proper interpretation of Scripture. And so it trains weekly the church on how to read their Bible by showing them how. And so this equips believers to read their Bibles for themselves as well as become competent ministers of God's word to others in the church as they learn how to handle the scriptures and apply it. Seventh, it creates a more biblically literate church, a church that actually knows their Bible. Rather than just preaching on topics, expository preaching familiarizes people with the Bible itself, not just topics from the Bible, but actual passages and whole books and this results over time in a church that hasn't merely been introduced to Christian ideas, but actually knows their Bibles. Eight, it guards the church from error. Second Peter 3, uh, Peter talks about how people twist the scriptures. Specifically, he says there how people twist Paul's writings. We know that people can make the Bible say whatever they want it to say. You can twist it to say whatever you want. In other words, just because a sermon uses the Bible doesn't mean the sermon is biblical. Just because you see a preacher on TV using the Bible, just because someone cites the Bible, the devil cites the Bible too, does not mean that the sermon itself is biblical. The devil cited scripture to Jesus in, in the temptation, remember. And there's a greater danger then of twisting scripture and introducing false teaching when preachers are preaching from the starting point of their own ideas rather than tethering themselves to scriptures. First of all, expository preaching forces us to interpret scripture in context, which means the scriptures are less apt to be twisted or made to say something they're not actually saying. And second, by tethering our sermons to the very message of the passage, it protects against preaching things that are untrue because we are restricting ourselves to simply preaching what the passage itself is saying. Nine, expository preaching gives preachers and their listeners confidence. To the preacher, it gives confidence that we are actually authorized to say what we are about to get up and say that it's actually God's message that I'm, I'm going to stand up here and proclaim. The more confident I am that the content and intent of my sermon is that of the passage, the more confidently I can say to you, thus says the Lord. And the clearer it is to you that my message is Scripture's message, the more confident you, the listener, can be in receiving it as the Lord's. Point number 10, we're not very wise. Let's be honest, we're not very wise or clever. Our ideas are utter foolishness compared to what God has to say. Proverbs 3 says, Don't tr or, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Or 1 Corinthians 1.25 says, the foolishness of God, as if God had foolishness. But if he was to have foolishness, even that would be wiser than the wisdom of men. 
Expository preaching means the preacher is not relying on his own ingenuity, his own cleverness, or insightfulness. But because expository preaching is not my own ideas or insights that I'm seeking to share, but God's. In fact, in a sense, the more clever I am, the worse. The goal of preaching is not novelty, but faithfulness. As, As listeners, you shouldn't be thinking, wow, where did he get that? But, wow, why didn't I see that? As preachers, this also means that we don't have to bear the burden of having all the answers or being super clever or coming up with something new every week that's relevant and exciting. Yes, preaching expositionally is actually a lot more work in a sense. You have to study the text intensely because you're devoted to nailing down what it actually says. As uh, the late uh, preacher John Stott said, the higher our view of the Bible, the more painstaking and conscientious our study of it should be. But expositional preaching, in another sense, is also incredibly relieving and freeing as the preacher because you're just leaning entirely on God and God's word and not yourself. In that sense, it's a lot less work. Eleven, it gives our preaching authority. Expository preaching is based on the conviction that authority rests in God's word and what he has to say. We don't have any authority to tell you what to do. We don't have any authority to preach our own ideas. The only authority our sermons have is a derivative authority. It comes from God. So the only way our sermons have any authority then is if they stay tethered to what God is actually saying. And 12, and finally, expositional preaching keeps the gospel central in the church. As we preach, we want to show how every passage of scripture directs us to Christ. And inasmuch as we do this, expositional preaching becomes our weekly habit of beholding the beauty of Christ. Like a rotating diamond that glistens from each of its facets, so we get to encounter Jesus from new angles week after week. Rather than restricting ourselves to just one view, we experience the full portrait of Jesus in all the scriptures. Expositional preaching just means more of Jesus. And as we head to the Lord's Supper, as we weekly also practice the Lord's Supper, I'm reminded of this quote, at least supposedly, that Martin Luther said. Supposedly, someone in Martin Luther's church once asked him, Hey, pastor, why is it that week after week you preach to us the gospel? With the assumption like, hey, we get it. Like, don't you know we realize it now? And Martin Luther replied, Beloved, because week after week you forget it. Isn't that true? That we need, as Second Peter also said, it's not, it's of no, it hurts nothing for me to remind you of the things that you already know. We are a people that probably more often just need to be reminded rather than taught new things. And so the Lord's Supper is a way that we remember the gospel every week. That we get to remind ourselves of things that we're apt to forget. The, the, the elements, the bread and the cup, Jesus tells us they are emblems, they are pictures that 
uh, communicate the promises of God to us. That those who believe in Christ uh, experience union with Christ that the Lord's Supper depicts. That we are united with him in his death given over for us. And we need to be reminded of that. We need to be reminded every week, every day, on good days and on bad days, that we are right with God based on what Jesus has done. And not only has he made us right with him, but as he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. This is, this is what we have as the source to empower us now to live as the new humanity 